Today on Blue 58, it was there, and then it was gone. The Packers fell to the 49ers practically almost entirely by their own doing. Now it's time to lick our wounds and figure out what's next. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode, even if the outcome, even if the outcome stings a little bit. These are tough ones to do, and we've done one of these all but two years since this podcast started. 2016, 2017, 2019, 2020, 2021, well, 2022 technically, and now 2023. So all but one year. One year wasn't in the playoffs, but it was basically in the playoffs. That was last season. And here we are again. The Packers lost, and the season is over. And in this game in particular, I think if you want to play the we lost more than they won card, now's the ideal time to do it. Because the Packers in this one really just left so many plays on the field. The missed opportunities are going to be what should linger with this team through the offseason. As fans, there's nothing we can ever do. There's there's no control over this game on our end. But there were a lot of control issues in this game where the Packers had things that were within their hands and just did not either come up with a play or let plays literally in some cases slip through their hands. Just to kind of laundry list it off, the fourth and short conversion on the Packers' second drive Bad spot, to be sure, I think, on both fourth down and the third down prior. I wish so many of these things did not depend on the refs doing whatever it is that the refs do, especially on quarterback sneak plays. You're relying on a, on a spot and on plays that are even close. But it was a missed opportunity and maybe not the best call for the Packers in a fourth and one situation, a fourth and a long one in that situation, too. You've got missed interceptions by Darnell Savage and Keyshawn Nixon. Brock Purdy was going to give you opportunities. The Packers failed to take advantage of them. You've got a missed field goal. Daniel Carlson's been a problem all season. We'll talk about him in a minute here. But it's it's not being too harsh to say that he's been a problem. It is just a fact. And it's almost, it, it would have been like a, Chekhov's gun situation had the Packers been better start to finish in this year. Chekhov's gun, the, the screenwriting you know, thing where if you, you introduce something, like shine a, la- a light on something early on, you basically have to pay it off later. Usually it's a gun. Like if you introduce a gun in the first act, it's got to be fired in the third act or whatever. It was that sort of thing hanging over the Packers this year, except it's already gone off two or three times. Carlson's situation is like a hilarious version of Chekhov's gun where somebody shoots themselves with the gun that you've introduced and then somebody else picks up the gun and looks right down the barrel and says, there's, there's no chance there's two bullets in this thing, right? Because there have been other situations where Carlson has cost the Packers games. We'll talk about that in a second here. But of course, this is not the only time something exactly like this had happened. Yeah, it would be super, super unfortunate if, say, Aaron Jones was to rip off a big play in a 49ers game, they're in a playoff game against the 49ers, and then the Packers came up with nothing and then ended up losing that game very close. Except that's exactly what happened in 2021. Aaron Jones rips off a 75-yard catch and run, does not go out of bounds inexplic- inexplicably. 
A couple plays later, Mason Crosby's half-ending field goal attempt is blocked. A missed opportunity then, a missed opportunity now, in the most literal of senses. Then you've got Matt LaFleur having two opportunities to, well, where it seemed like it would have made sense to call timeouts on the 49ers' final drive just before the two-minute warning and then just after. Instead, he chose to set the Packers up with all three timeouts and a minute left to go. And thank God he saved those timeouts because now we've got all offseason to use them. I mean, I, I just can't remember how many times the Packers have gotten to march and they just haven't had any timeouts left. Thankfully, that Lafleur has solved that problem for us this year. Like he is, he's made sure that we've got the timeout situation handled well into the off season. And of course, missed opportunities are what's going to get you killed in a game like this. And wouldn't you know it, that is exactly what happened. The Packers end up losing, and they end up losing because I think mainly of four people: Jordan Love, Matt Lafleur, Anders Carlson, and Joe Barry. And don't worry, we're going to get to Joe Barry. Jordan Love, first and foremost. Not his worst game of the year, but I think after how well we've seen him play over the back half of the season, it was kind of stunning to see him play like this. Rain does seem to have been a factor, but the 49ers had him on on the ropes in ways that we really had not seen in a while, and then he put himself in bad situations too, just with some unusual decisions and I think you need to look no further than the game-ending interception to see the kind of decisions that he was making in this game. Just horrific. That final pass of the season is about as bad of a throw that you could ever conceive of making, much less actually put in the air, in a playoff game. And look, I'm a Packers fan who came really of age in the early 2000s, so I've seen Brett Favre throw a lot of season-ending interceptions, Threw up a lot of bad stuff in the playoffs. I've seen Aaron Rodgers target lock on Devontae Adams and get a pass picked. I've seen him do the same thing a year later to Christian Watson. This is right up there with as bad a throw as you're going to see in a playoff game. In just about any game. A mind-bogglingly bad decision from Jordan Love with the game on the line. But that's not to say he didn't have help letting things down on offense. Down the stretch, Matt LaFleur architect of the Packers offense, put together four pretty bad drives here. Packers 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth drives ended with interception, three and out, missed field goal, and interception. The field goal drive was a good one. You did have some ball movement there. But the other plays, the other drives go like this. Four plays, nine yards, interception. Three plays and out. Jordan Love misses Aaron Jones real bad on third and two. That's not Matt LaFleur's fault. And then on the final drive of the game, Jordan Love throws another pick. It's a lot like, in some ways, the the Falcons game early in the season where a combination of of bad play calling and um, bad execution lets a team climb back into the game, and then you've got the defense allowing it to happen. Then you've got Anders Carlson. Look, I'm not a field goal kicking expert. I could probably not make a 25-yard field goal right now. That would probably be the extent of my range. But this is the the easiest results-based position to evaluate. And some of this, to be sure, appears to be on the Packers' long snapper. He's been up and down all year, Matt Orzik. 
But getting evaluated on the end result is part of the deal here. The results are never more clear on a football field than for the kicker. Ball go in or ball not go in. And for Carlson, far too often the outcome this year has been ball not go in. And more importantly, it's been ball not go in during close games. I'm going to stop doing that joke now. I'm annoying myself. Jokes aside, this is the third time this season Anders Carlson has missed a field goal in a game that the Packers have lost by three points or less. This is the fifth straight game where he's missed at least one kick, either a field goal or a point after. It's been time for a conversation on Anders Carlson for a long time. And other than a pretty solid start to the season, it's been it's been bad. And this is there isn't a learning curve for rookie kickers. You kick or you don't. And down the stretch here, it's been far too often, it's been don't for Carlson. What a damning line from the sideline reporter, I forget his name, from Matt LaFleur in this game, that he just says that LaFleur says that whenever Carlson goes out, he just prays. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to have a prospect at kicker. You can just try a different guy. You can not draft a guy who had accuracy accuracy issues in college. And then, lo and behold, ended up having accuracy issues in the pros. Imagine that. Just imagine that scenario playing out. A guy who previously was not a very accurate kicker continues to be so. That is a huge surprise. Nevertheless, past stuff notwithstanding, he missed a big one in this one. And if you're going by the results, that's about as bad as it gets. But as far as results go, we've got to talk about Joe Barry. The Packers lost six games this year by one score. Five of those featured the opposing team making the go-ahead score with under five minutes to go. People could drive a lot on the Packers late, and they frequently, frequently did. The Atlanta Falcons had a five-minute drive in the fourth quarter. They kicked the go-ahead field goal with about a minute left. The Denver Broncos had a four-minute drive in the fourth quarter and set up the go-ahead field goal with three minutes and 54 seconds left. The Steelers, four-minute drive in the fourth quarter. Again, go-ahead score, about five minutes left. The New York Giants... Take over with 133 left. They move the ball for the time-expiring game-winning field goal. Again, giving them just the, the very close win there. And then, of course, tonight, the fifth time this season, a team has been able to drive and score on the Packers to go ahead late in the fourth quarter. And this could have been worse. The Saints missed a go-ahead field goal with a minute left in that dramatic game early in this Packers season. And the Panthers were in Packers territory late, but spiked the ball as time ran out instead of trying to kick a field goal or run another play. As an aside, Bryce Young had the best game of his career in that game. Bit of a hobby for Joe Barry, giving up career-defining games to guys. You can look at the box score and say, well, the Packers defense really did a pretty good job. And in some senses, yes, they did. But once again, when the defense needed to deliver, They failed. Again. And this time it sends the Packers home. Among other things. 
but it was the Packers' defense on there giving up play after play after play, playing soft, 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 as the 49ers went down the field needing a touchdown and getting one to win the game. We're not going to do good things in this game. I don't want to play the, well, you know, they, they weren't expected to be here sort of thing right now. Because that's part of the long-term evaluation of this Packers team. As for right now, I think you should be a little bit salty. I think you should be a little bit angry about how this game played out. How the Packers started this season has nothing to do with today. Being 2-5 and five in October, November, whatever it was, does not matter when you are leading in the fourth quarter of the divisional round of the playoffs. What do you expect to do? Sit down with the 49ers and say, well, I mean, you got to feel pretty good about us, right? I mean, nobody thought we would be here. What, what is that supposed to do? What is that supposed to change about this game? It's a silly thing to bring up when you're talking about the context of this game. Nevertheless, there is some long-term stuff that you have to talk about as a result of this game because that's all we really have. There is no more 2023 Packers. It's done. The book is closed. So let's do some kind of happy middle of the road and then sad takes here. What does it mean? The happy stuff is I think that this team showed today and throughout the latter half of the season that this team is capable of great things. They accomplished some undeniably great things this year. Truly a run like few we have ever seen before. And I think just in in the overall impression here, the sky does appear to be the limit for a bunch of these guys. If they can continue to stay together, grow together, stay healthy, maybe a bit more of a challenging prospect than you might like to, to really admit in moments of honesty. But if they can grow like we've, we've seen them over the course of this season, okay, there is a lot to be excited about. And they, if nothing else, they've got pieces in place. And that is exciting. That was not the case at the end of the 2022 season. You weren't sure what they had in place outside of a few guys who just happened to be on really just medium-term contracts at that point. So the sky, broadly speaking, is the limit. The medium-level take there, maybe not so happy, not so sad, is that there is a lot of uncertainty ahead. This team is going to change in a lot of uncertain ways. Growth is, as we've been reminded many times by many different take-havers this year, growth is never linear. That is true. That also means that there's no guarantee that next season is as good as this one. Could be better, sure. Uh, but it could go a lot of different ways. There are a lot of big questions out there about this Packers team, and the future is always uncertain. Nothing is ever guaranteed, and when you've got opportunities, you've got to take advantage of them. And that's why I have to do the sad take, because this, it's, it's not a popular or um, fun thing to say, but it is possible that this is as good as it ever gets for the Love Era Packers. I'm not saying that's likely. It's also not impossible. Know how I know? Just look at Aaron Rodgers' career. It would have been easy to sit there in a very similar situation in 2009 after an exciting game against the Arizona Cardinals and say, well, the sky's the limit. It's only up from here. 
And with the Packers, that would have been true. But think how close that Super Bowl run was to not happening. Just look at what happened to Aaron Rodgers in that in that season. He gets a concussion against the Detroit Lions. He misses one game that the Packers lost to the, the New England Patriots, nearly won, but, but ended up losing. But then he comes back and, and everything's hunky-dory. What if it had been two games? What if it had been three? The angle on that concussion is slightly different, and Aaron Rodgers isn't available for a Super Bowl run that probably doesn't end up happening. And then what do the 2011 Packers look like? How anxiety-ridden is the next decade after that? If you don't have that Super Bowl run, think how close it was to not happening. And I know part of this is just because I'm a little bit salty after a loss, but sometimes you have to be a little bit salty. And sometimes I think that's justified. But let's air this take out. There have been a lot of victory laps this week about the Packers' roster construction and what Brian Gutekunst has done. And he's loaded up on a lot of stuff over the past two years. But contending doesn't count for anything. It's great that the Packers might be set up to contend for a decade or longer. Being in contention doesn't matter. Ask the Buffalo Bills about that. You know any Bills fans that were around in the early 90s? How great do they feel about being in four straight Super Bowls? They contended about as hard as anybody ever has. But being close doesn't count. And if you like, if the 49ers win the Super Bowl this year, you think they're going to look back and think, gee, man, those Packers, they almost had us. No, they're not going to think about the Packers at all. As good as it feels to get close and see the, the building blocks in place, getting close doesn't matter at all. You got to seal the deal when you've got the opportunity. And the Packers had an opportunity today and they failed. They failed. We need to be okay with saying that the Packers failed when they had an opportunity. Because it can't just be this big swing from, look, you, the, the Rodgers era guys, the, the expectation is the Super Bowl. And it's true, the expectation was not the Super Bowl here. But I think what I'm trying to get here get at here is what this really means is that the no expectations era is over. That house money that everybody's been talking about the last couple of weeks, that is all spent. That the Packers are surprisingly good, no surprises anymore. What can they be? What can this, this team be? Well, we've seen it. Everybody's seen it now. Now the challenge is going to be doing that again. And then again. And then again, 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 again. Because that's what contending is about. We've set the bar now. Now you've got to be at least this good going forward. If the Packers falter next year, how do you feel? Does it feel like you're making progress? Does it feel like this year was really progress at all? Or are you starting to wonder already by this time next year, where is this team going to end up? And that really is going to be the question for this offseason because they're going to have to make a bunch of important decisions. So let's talk about some of those decisions. There are decisions on a bunch of different things coming up, so let's just run through the highlights. The Packers have some decisions to make on coaches. And I said coaches because I think there are two coordinators that we need to have a serious talk about. First is Joe Barry. My gut says he's coming back. I don't think that's a good decision. I didn't think hiring him was a good decision, but I think they're going to look at this 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 loss 
and incorrectly come to the conclusion that it wasn't the defense's fault. It may not have been entirely the defense's fault, but like the offense failed in the red zone, the defense failed when they needed to do their job. They did not get a stop when they had an opportunity to do so and needed to do so. They just didn't. But I think that Matt LaFleur is going to look at the body of Joe Barry's work and say, it hasn't been that bad. There's been a lot of times when our defense or when our offense has let the, uh, the defense down. Plenty this year. I mean, even we talked about this Falcons game earlier this year. Yes, the defense did give up points down the stretch, but the offense failed to make a single first down in, in the fourth quarter. Three and out and three and out. And then I think a third three and out. Um, I'm not sure exactly where that stacked, but I, th- I think there was three straight three and outs in that game. In any case, if they'd played a little bit more complimentary football, that that game would have been a win. And it wasn't entirely the defense's fault. I think you're going to have a similar conversation internally after this one, saying it wasn't entirely the defense's fault. Uh, just put it this way, I'd be pleasantly surprised if Joe Barry is not the defensive coordinator for the Packers next season. Then I think we really need to talk about Rich Bisaccia. This needs to be a more intense conversation than it's been because he's really gone to the mat for guys like Anders Carlson and really prior to him, guys like Amari Rogers. And that connection or disconnect, I guess, between on-field performance and what they apparently think about these guys off the field is hurting the Packers. In this particular season... Bisaccia really went to the mat for Anders Carlson, and the connection between Bisaccia and the Carlson family was a big reason that they like Anders Carlson to begin with. Issues in college notwithstanding, they thought they could fix him. So far, they have not. He also had to have been part of the process on their long snapper, Matthew Orzik, who's apparently part of the problem here, too. Special teams under Bisaccia have not been a dumpster fire, but you can't really call it good, I don't think. Can you? Certainly, they haven't been as good as we would have hoped they would have been under a guy like Bisaccia, as highly regarded as he's been. Then you've got the Packers' contracts. Of the Packers' 10 biggest cap hits on the team heading into this offseason, five of them have significant questions. David Bakhtiari, questions there are obvious. We've been having the David Bakhtiari conversation basically since he signed the extension because a month and a half later, his knee exploded. Terrific. Aaron Jones, well, we've had that conversation for like three years in a row now, so I'm not going to belabor that point because I've been wrong left, right, and center on Aaron Jones, and he's in the midst of one of the great runs that a Packers running back has ever had. So the judgment might be a little bit clouded there, but he seems to mean a lot to this team. You've got to at least have a conversation about where he fits into the 2024 Packers and your your cap sheet. Preston Smith also has a pretty big cap hit. He just turned 31 in November. How much can you really lean on him for what he's going to be giving you relative to his cap number? Then Devondre Campbell is a tough one, and I get the sense the Packers are probably just going to take their medicine on this one because he's got $11 million in dead cap if they they release him. But at $14 million against the cap for 2024, 
you just can't have that level of performance, even if the Packers are only saving $3 million by cutting him. I think you'd do it. And you're probably doing him a favor because he does not seem to want to be in Green Bay anymore for a variety of reasons. Then the fifth biggest hit is Darnell Savage, who is probably the easiest decision, but not an easy one per se. He's an unrestricted free agent, but the cupboard is going to be pretty bare at safety next year, uh, potentially if the Packers turn over everybody that's that's an unrestricted free agent. Jonathan Owens is. I think Rudy Ford is as well. It's it's a tough position in terms of the turnover there. But the Packers also have a bunch of decisions on other free agents. Among them, the 10 unrestricted free agents they have. Won't give you the whole list, but some of the, the top ones. In addition to Darnell Savage, you have you have John Runyon, Keyshawn Nixon, A.J. Dilla, A.J. Dillon, excuse me, and Josiah DeGuara. Complicated discussions on all of those guys. Um and, and what they mean to the Packers and what they can give the Packers, in some cases, even beyond their on-field performance. A few restricted free agents in the conversation as well, Zane Anderson, Robert Rochelle. I'm a no on both of those guys. Then their exclusive rights free agents. I think I'm five for five on all five of these guys. Caleb Jones, Daniel Whelan, Benny Sapp, Patrick Taylor, and Bo Melton. I don't see any reason to not bring those five guys back. You can easily move on from an er, exclusive rights free agent contract. You might as well get another look at Caleb Jones. Daniel Whelan seems to have been solid enough this year. Benny Sapp got some burn as an undrafted free agent. Patrick Taylor clearly has a role in Green Bay. Does he want to be back in Green Bay? I don't know, but they're going to... I would think you you bring him back just because of what you know he can do. And then Bo Melton, obviously, the story of the last month of the season just with what he contributed to the passing game. There's a lot of work to be done. And then, what is it, 13 draft picks on top of all that, and I think five in the top 100. Um, there's a lot of work to be done. And the Packers can really change things around for this this team. It's just hard to let go of what was, even if even if what we had really wasn't around all that long. I think that seems like a word salad, but I think you understand what I'm getting at there. This was... The idea of the Packers being NFC championship contenders was something that really only has arisen in the last week and really only seemed real in the third quarter of this divisional round game. And then it's gone. It's hard to let go of that. And it's hard to revert to the LOL, nothing matters. We have no expectations mindset because that was a long time ago too. Things change and expectations change. And I think it's fair, as we kind of get to the point of the podcast where we're wrapping everything up, I think it's fair to have different expectations at different points in the season. Once you're in the divisional round, it's it's hard to really say, well, we have no expectations anymore. You blew out the number two seed in the NFC last week, and you had the number one seed on the ropes. Can you really just say, well, no expectations no, I mean, you, ex- you expect to win a game like that, and the Packers didn't, and that makes it a, something of a pretty bitter disappointment here at the end. Let's send you out with a, a, a few cheese curds here at the end. Uh, great looking game. was hoping when I heard that it was gonna likely going to rain for this game and then saw the rain coming down that we were going to get some mud. I mean, who doesn't love a 49ers-Packers playoff game with a bunch of mud on the field? Some great ones in Packers-49ers history there, but alas, um, Still, the the green and gold against the the red and red and gold, 
about as good as it gets. The only thing that weirds me out about the 49ers is their nameplates. The font is weird. Uh, maybe it's just me. Uh, but it also looks like they have different sizes for the letters on the text. I, I, can, I never know quite what to make about that. It just It's kind of weird looking, and I wish it was a little bit more standardized. Um, Narrative-wise, there was a, a, something developing in this game that I thought could have been a cool reversal from something we saw a couple of years ago. Zach Tom goes out, changes the Packers' offense, I think, in enormous ways. And I think we're going to wonder for a long time how this game could have turned out if Zach Tom was available for the entire game. But who comes in for Zach Tom off the bench? Yash Nyman. And narrative-wise, I, I even made a note of it as I was writing about the game during the game. I thought this could have been about the coolest thing in terms of a reversal of one of the, the great injustices of Packers playoffs history uh, when he got benched in the 2021 playoffs, um, really for no reason. So Billy Turner could start at left tackle and uh, <laughs> Ricky Wagner could start at right tackle. It didn't work out. And Yash Nyman sat there on the bench being perhaps the best tackle the Packers had available just watching the game. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to have really worked out that way. He did not have uh, a particularly great performance today. Um, but in the grand scheme of why the Packers lost, probably not the biggest reason. Returning to Aaron Jones here, he can't be gone after this one, right? This can't be how it ends. But if it is how it ends... Five straight 100-plus yard games to close out the season. You talk about leaving all of it on the field. Aaron Jones certainly did that for the Packers this year, as I think did Romeo Dobbs. He's probably endured more criticism on offense than just about anybody else, at least among the Packers' pass catchers, with the possible exception of Christian Watson, uh, who gets criticized, I think, for very different things. Uh, But Dobbs really came on strong down the stretch. Not perfect as a player, not even perfect as a prospect, maybe not even all that exciting as a prospect in terms of what he could develop into. Dobbs seems pretty close to a finished product to me. But he's really shown, I think, over the past three or four weeks, and I feel really vindicated here, that he can thrive in a certain role. And that role is to basically be a sidekick receiver, taking advantages of the mismatches that arrive when arise when defenses pay more attention to other guys. He can make you pay for ignoring him, and he did that a couple times in this game, including a beautiful sideline catch. Um, How good was that throw from Jordan Love to Romeo Dobbs down the left sideline? little toe-tapper there. Perfect, perfect stuff from, from both Love and Dobbs. That was very exciting to see. It, I, I almost didn't put this one in because it's a bummer with how it turned out. Uh, but Eric Wilson... I thought he was going to redeem this whole special teams debacle. The Packers special teams have been essentially a nightmare for almost all of the Matt LaFleur era. They just have not been able to get this stuff straightened out. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I don't know how you fix it, but it's just been bad. But then you've got Keyshawn Nixon ripping off a big return to respond to the 49ers um, marching down the field and taking the lead there in the second half. And then he fumbles, and then out of nowhere, here comes Eric Wilson scooping the ball out of the air. It looked like he was going to save the whole game and season and change the narrative on what special teams could be. Alas, it goes by the wayside. And I guess that's where I ultimately land on games like this. 
so often, at least in the close Packers games that they lose in the playoffs, all I can end up thinking about is the wasted stuff, the wastage, the great performances that go by the board. There were more than a few of them in this one. And that, I think, is going to be the, the lasting disappointment for me is, is even on top of what could have been getting ready to play in the NFC Championship game a week from tomorrow, today, it's well after midnight now, they just wasted good performances from a lot of guys, and that is tough to swallow. That's what comes with losing. going to sign off with these two things. First, a big thank you to everybody who has listened to us this season. Uh, 2023 was a uniquely difficult one for me, kind of off mic, a lot of illness, a lot of family stuff that was not so fun. Um, and it, it, as always, you know, good or bad stuff going on personally, this is always a lot of fun to do, win or lose. It's fun to sit and talk into this microphone about football because none of it really matters. I mean, it is disappointing to lose. It is disappointing to see your team not do what they are capable of doing in the biggest moments, knowing that they're they're capable of doing better. Of course, all that's disappointing. But it is still super, super fun to talk sports with everybody, to, to obsess about this. Sure, I, I think that's fair to say. Obsess about this more than it's probably necessary. But it, it doesn't get less fun. Even in the losses, it's, it's still rewarding to do. And I'm grateful to you listening to this for making it so. This is going to be my lasting memory of the 2023 season. Not the loss, but the story I'm about to share with you. Late in the Packers' Week 18 win over the Chicago Bears to, to send them home and send the Packers to the playoffs, uh, my four-year-old walked into the room where I was watching the game. He's kind of starting to get it. He understands a little bit about the game. He's really fixated on the numbers, though. He likes seeing which numbers are doing good things, uh, which numbers are not doing good things, um, who the Packers are playing. Uh, always quick to identify who the Packers are. Green team, good. In this case, the blue team, the blue team is bad, right, Daddy? Yes, of course they are. The Bears are, are bad. Um, it's obviously the Bears are always going to be bad. But late in that game, the Packers need a drive to put it away. And Jordan Love hits Jaden Reed on a big, deep crosser to to essentially seal it. 59-yard catch, I believe it was. Um, and he looks at me and he says, Daddy, I'm number 10 and you're number 11, and we just did a big one. And I, it might, like, your throat seizes up there for a second as a parent because you could just see him get excited and he was excited because I was excited. And that moment of connection means more to me than anything that the Packers did this year, because that's really what all of this is about, because we can't control the outcome. We can get worked up about what happens, but really it's just fun and entertainment and connecting with people and getting to share that with him I'm going to think about that a lot longer than I'm going to think about 
a missed field goal or a bad spot on third down because that matters so much more. It just does, and it always will. And that is going to be my lasting memory of this 2023 season. Yeah, Daddy, we did do a big one. Yeah, buddy. That was a good one, wasn't it? And I hope that you've had moments like that with family and friends throughout this season because even if it ends in disappointment, if you had fun along the way, that's really all that matters. We're trying to have fun, and we're trying to enjoy football together, and we're trying to to have a good time and learn a little bit more about it as we do. Sure, stings. It's hard to lose. It's hard for something that you care about to end unexpectedly. Well, maybe not unexpectedly, but brutally, (laughs) put it that way. Um, But hey, there's always another season, and we're going to have another season here before too long. It's going to be here before we know it. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in all season. Appreciate it even more, even in a loss, if you had shared this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.